This week on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question. Hey, is the guy from Belgium still watching? Yes, Scott, he's always watching. That's where Santa lives. He's always watching. Santa lives in Belgium. Ho, ho, ho. And waffles. Waffle, waffle, waffle. Welcome to the Rotten or Righteous podcast, the only show that was raised in the church, which might surprise you. With me today, as always, he's a pathetic primitive, a leech on society. He represents everything that is wrong with the American economy. He's Luke Taylor. Joseph Smith! <laughs> and along with... Luke. And along with Luke, he has murdered the aura of every restaurant he's ever been to. Scott Judge. Scott. <laughs> I'm just amazed at this introduction from Luke. I mean, it just makes him sound like a horrible person, and it just doesn't seem right. I, I'm yeah, sorry. Zach. I'm sorry. We've done this bit uh, 400,000 times, it feels like. So hopefully you would feel like you're not really sorry. I'm not. (laughs) Or sorry. Sorry. You've never besmirched his good name. And me? I'm a failure. I failed again. Oh, that's all I do. I had a plan. I was going to help myself and help my friends unplug and have fun. But I failed. No matter how hard I try, no matter how much I give... I'm still just the creator of the Rotten Righteous podcast. I'm Zach Geiler. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome back to Rotten Righteous. We've already done that part. Oh. This He's week, Joseph Smith. This week Did we I, watched... Joseph gonna... Smith. Okay. I have found some golden tablets in the ground in New York. Would anyone like to read them? Zach, would you like to read them? No. Would you like to look at my gold, my golden tablets? I... Well, you're not allowed because they're secret. Keep them that way. <laughs> Scott, did you just open your car door or? <laughs> yeah, I'm turning my... I'm turning my notifications off on my phone. Where are we at here? About episode 50? Yeah. I'm hoping by episode 250 we get this figured out. We've had it figured out. We've had this figured out for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Today we watched the Pure Flix comedy, Mom's Night Out. And this movie opens as all good movies open with voiceover from a failing mommy blogger. She mentions how she has three followers, and yesterday she had four. And I really want to make fun of her, but then I remember that, well, I do this podcast. (laughs) Real life hurts, doesn't it? (laughs) And then we learn that the titular mom 
who is played by Sarah Drew, who, as my wife knows and I have no clue about, played Dr. April Kipner on a little show called Grey's Anatomy. And then we learned the titular mom, who's played by Sarah Drew, who, as my wife knows and I have no clue about, played a Dr. April Kipner on a little show called Grey's Anatomy, is the one writing the blog. Our main mom is writing this blog post and revealing that she's suffering from crippling OCD and telling us how she wakes up at 5 a.m. every morning to scrub the house down. On top of OCD, apparently she also leaves poisonous chemicals just laying around and is fearful that her kid is going to drink Clorox. And when they do drink Clorox, then she says she has to call poison control again. And she wonders, if she has to call them again, will they take her kids away? How often are her kids trying to kill themselves? Should they take these kids away? I'll tell you how many times I've had to call poison control. Zero. Hey, drinking Clorox will change your life. And the reason is, is we don't clean, so we never have Clorox lying around. <laughs> you know, I feel like if you had kids, I'm not a parent, you know, but I like to give out parenting advice. Um... <laughs> I feel like if you had kids that were like as old as hers, eight years old, there would be either two options. They already would have broken you of that OCD or else you would have just died of a heart attack over high blood pressure over a period of eight years. Yes. Both of those things happen. And it was a good show. That's a wrap, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Our mom then goes on to say that if her house isn't spotless, it leads to her having a moment. And what is a moment, you ask? Apparently, it's verbally abusing their daughter while in the car with her family. Her poor husband, who just so happens to be played by Samwise Gamgee himself, Sean Astin, tells her to calm (laughs) down and stop having psychotic moments. Well, as we all know, you should never call a psycho woman a psycho. But before she can blow up on her well-meaning husband, she sees a newlywed couple and decides to have another moment. This time, the moment manifests itself... Uh, as diarrhea from the mouth as she expounds an onslaught of unsolicited advice on two young lovers as they're stopped at a red light beside them. Basically, she concludes that she's like the Bruce Banner of moms, that she doesn't want to explode on her family, but does. I mean, she loves her kids, her husband in her minivan, maybe not in that order, but she loves them, so, so why does she feel that way? And if you're thinking you're about to get a dramatic and poignant character study on bipolar disorder and the effect it has on the American family, you have way too much faith in this movie. <laughs> uh, like, seriously. Zach, have, you, have you ever not just looked at Kelsey and said, Kelsey, just calm down. I think you're overreacting. Every day. Yeah. Do you do Every that, day. Luke? Um, No. But yeah, no, I mean, it does make a pretty clear case that this woman has some serious psychoses. Like, she probably should go seek some medical help, but... And quickly. Thank you, Scott, for that poignant advice and quickly. Uh, addition to the, the podcast. Wait 38 yes. seconds and Scott will say quickly. Seek the medical advice, have the kids adopted to somebody else, and spend years in therapy. But instead of doing all of those things, we smash cut to a child screaming for her mother, as said mother is passed out in front of her open laptop in bed. She goes downstairs into her 
disgust. The house is a mess again. Her kids had made it a mess by doing the horrible act of trying to make their mom eggs for breakfast. Is she happy? Yeah, I know. Terrible kids. But is she happy that her kids are trying their best to do something nice from their mother? Of course not. Instead, the bipolar matriarch assumes her children are going to die from salmonella poisoning and takes off as we freeze on her angry face as she is just bolting towards her children, presumably to give her son an atomic elbow to prevent him from licking his finger. Does anyone know anyone, anyone's kids or anyone personally or themselves who has gotten salmonella from eating anything in the kitchen that's, act, that's uncooked? No, I, I'm no. A, I, like I'm a pro- is... I was a professional chef for several years, and I've never seen it. And you'd think if anybody would have seen it, it's somebody that would cook for a living. I've eaten massive amounts of cookie dough in my life, uncooked. Ain't ever got salmonella. I think I it's a lie. Massive amounts of uncooked eggs. Just every day, shell and all. Is that, <laughs> is that your bodybuilding routine? Yeah, it's crazy. Like yeah, Gaston it's my, from it's my bodybuilding routine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but at the same time, I, I just yeah, I, I well even the movie points out that it's nonsensical. She goes that her son's going to be one of the four hundred salmonella related deaths in America this year. <laughs> But, uh, so after she stops her kid from murdering herself, she continues to have no chill as she's getting her kids ready for the day. And it's this scene that I lose a lot of respect for her plight, because the first thing we see is her struggling to put a button-up shirt on a toddler. No one asked her to do that. It's like building a mountain outside your front door and then complaining you have to climb a mountain every time you leave the house. Seriously. You don't put button-up shirts on toddlers? No. Half the time, Joseph leaves the house in footy pajamas because he's in them. Battle's already won. He's he's dressed. (laughs) He's already dressed. (laughs) No sense in messing that up. So, no, I don't pity the battles that she creates for herself. And then the second reason I lose a lot of respect for this woman is that they named this toddler Beck. What's wrong with Beck? I have nothing to really say. I have no problem if your name is you're Beck. You're judging. Especially if you're an experimental musician that came to prominence in the early 90s. But don't name your kid Beck, or he'll feel like a loser, baby, so why don't you kill me? And that reference was made exclusively for our one Beck fan. You're welcome. Which is not me. <laughs> Maybe it's short for Beckham. Everyone's naming their kid Beckham. He's like, oh, English guy, Beckham. And if they're she super flexible, if, if they're super flexible, then you can bend them. You can bend them like Beckham. Remember, there was that Indian movie? Uh, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. It was bad. Anyway. Um. <laughs> anyway, Samwise is stuck in an airport. He's probably just returning home from defeating Sauron, but the wife is just flipping out, asking when he's going to be home. He's like, calm down, you're welcome for toppling the literal force of darkness, by the way. I'm working on getting home as fast as I can. Meanwhile, Beck's playing in the toilet and their daughter is writing on the wall. 
The mom, whose name is Allison, is still flipping out while Sam Wise is trying in vain at the airport to calm her down. Boom. Title screen. Mom's night out. Do-do-do. Then we get to see some sweet B-roll of a minivan commercial as Allison is taking her kids to church services. After lusting... After... (laughs) When she gets there, she just lusts after another mom for some reason. Then Allison attempts to apply some mascara as her daughter screams her... Or screams at her to let her help her put the mascara on. We're then introduced to Sandra. Allison's confidant in the pastor's wife, played by Patricia Heaton, who you may know as Deborah from the hit show Everybody Loves Raymond. We're told that Sandra is great, but darn it, she just can't figure out autocorrect. She's always (laughs) texting hilarious things, like typhoid instead of Tylenol, and, and chicken poodle poop instead of chicken noodle soup. Oh boy, technology can be tricky. Christian humor. <laughs> Gold star. Well, I he looked it up. I want to know if Dallas Jenkins wrote this one with that chicken poodle poop reference. We all know that Dallas Jenkins has an affinity for toilet humor. Chicken poodle poop. Like all preacher's wives, Sandra is finding her husband's notes and fixing his tie, all while explaining to their teenage daughter why she cannot go to a rave. Again, I want to make fun of this, but nine Sundays out of ten, Kelsey is bringing me something that I forgot or just telling me my fly is down before I go up to the pulpit. I was going to ask if anyone else's like wives have to like get them fixed up, because yeah. I, I don't think, I don't know that well, Megan probably has fixed my tie. I haven't worn a tie since I've been in Guam, though it's been great. Like I, I, I relate to this mom so much. Because I am basically a stay-at-home dad that just works third shift preaching. See, no, at this point, at this point, I had determined that my life decision to never have children was a great decision. And that if this was what your life was like, I was like, I wonder, I'm going to ask Zach if this is what his life is like. And if it, it is, it's I'm going to... Surprisingly accurate. And you have I, one. I know. Just one. So, so this isn't over-exaggerated? This is like your daily life? I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's very close to my daily life with a three-year-old. It is very close. You I was wondering what they're going like... to get into, what they're going to do. Allison gets her kids to Sunday school, where we are introduced to Izzy, Allison's best friend since grade school. Izzy's husband, Marco, is there taking attendance, and we learn that he has three irrational fears. Luchadors... Biker gangs and kids. I don't see why any of these are irrational. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, uh, but I would not want to see a luchador, a biker gang, or a kid in some random back alley at night. You're uh, you're afraid of luchadors? You ever seen Nacho Libre? Yeah, I'm terrified of them. That's what I'm uh, doing <clears throat> doing over here in Guam. I'm working for a monastery, taking care of orphans. Thinking about joining the WWE. <laughs> hey, I got I got to admit, we'll get into this more as this movie progresses. It's going awful slow for some reason. I was really scared to death to take care of my boys if Ellie wasn't there. 
because I just felt like, I don't know what the heck's going on. I've never, I've never had, been around kids in my life. Babies I, had no clue. I, neither have I really, but I had no problem. The second I picked him up and saw that he's not going to just shatter underneath my hands like some sort of China doll, I was good. I changed his first yeah. diaper. I was there when Kelsey couldn't feed him naturally. I got up and made bottles with him. When Kelsey went back to work, she only had two weeks of maternity leave. So I was stuck at home mm-hmm. with this two-week-year-old baby. It was great. I loved those first few months, seriously, because the way Kelsey and I would do it would, uh What was that? Did somebody just get a wish granted? I think somebody got a... Uh... Uh, somebody got a, uh, got their wings. Uh, no, when Kelsey went <laughs> for like the first, no, she had a month of, of maternity leave and that first month was easy as pie because what yeah. the way we did it was, uh, we did shifts where Kelsey would go to bed at 10 and then I would wake her up at five and then she'd get up and be with the baby from five and I would sleep from like five till noon or whatever. So mm-hmm. That's the way we did it, and it was awesome. All we did, we had a very easy baby. Joseph was a pretty easy kid because he only cried when he was hungry or when he was wet. He never just cried for no reason. And yeah, he, slept he is through, a great kid. He slept through the night at a month and a half and never woke up in the middle of the night again. So. I, I was a good parent, too. I had a good kid until I lost it, and now I don't know where it went. <sighs> <laughs> but anyways... Marco's fears are paid off, I guess, if you want to say that, with a cutaway gag where we see Marco screaming when he opens his door on Halloween because you know how much kids love to dress up as luchadors and bikers. So, it makes sense that he opens his door, kids say trick-or-treat, and he screams and falls down. (laughs) See, it was a trick for him. It wasn't a treat. And they keep changing when Halloween comes every year. So... You know, is it the first week of April or the last week of October? Who knows? <laughs> after after ditching her kids at, at Bible class, Allison makes her way to the bathroom to try and clean off an unfortunate mascara accident that her daughter gave her from earlier. But the automatic paper towel dispenser isn't working, so she just starts doing what we all do, beating the living crap out of it. And this serves as our introduction to Glinda, who is the perfect mom. As she hears Allison's bipolar beatdown, she comes out of the stall, where she immediately (laughs) is able to just wave her hand underneath the sensor and gets a paper towel. Allison finally makes it to her pew, only to be immediately uh, notified by Izzy that Beck got his head stuck in a toilet seat. (laughs) So she has to go take care of that. That evening, Samwise finally makes it back home to find the house destroyed. He then follows a trail of discarded bonbon wrappers to a closet. Allie is hiding from their messy house, eating chocolate and watching a live feed of a mother eagle, which she just can't stop watching, but doesn't know why. I'm not going to lie, I had that live feed of April the Giraffe on my phone for... Mm-hmm for months and i've watched <laughs> eagles before waiting waiting for them to hatch and when they play hotel california when they're coming out of their eggs oh awesome it is I, I welled up a little bit but uh sam gives Allie uh, a bouquet of flowers 
just try to cheer her up, which causes her to have another breakdown. And uh, just as she gets over the flower breakdown, they just fall asleep in the closet. I've been very close to that. I understand <laughs> how that feels. The next scene, Allie's at her congregation's book club. Not that she has time to read the books, but it makes her feel as if she does read them when she goes. Been there and done that? I've I've hosted book clubs where I haven't had time to read the books. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me a little bit of preaching school class. <laughs> at the book club, Glenda is just pontificating over the power of some book that she read as Allie... And the preacher wife, Sandra, is feigning interest. But in reality, Allie and Izzy are planning a girls' night. You see, Allie got a group on to a fancy restaurant, and she feels it would be the perfect medicine to alleviate some of her motherhood stress. The two also invite Sandra, and the plans are set. These moms are going to have the titular night out. Do you like how? Do you like that? <laughs> You're a wordsmith. The following day, Allie is trying to share her feelings about being stressed and unhappy to Samwise. Sam, on the other hand, is offering good advice and actually trying to solve her problems so she doesn't have to complain about them. And again, this is totally unrelatable. I've never had a conversation with my wife with a very simple solution. She's having nothing to do with it. You just don't understand. I just yes. do not like Brenda in the corner cubicle. Well, why? <sighs> She doesn't talk to me. Well, just go up and talk to her. I don't want to. Well, then stop complaining about it. I don't... It's real simple, honey. Either initiate a conversation or move on. Why are you bugging me with this? Because you're the husband. She doesn't need you to fix. She just needs you to listen. Oh, gosh. And that's so hard for me. It's so hard for me because her problems are so easy to fix. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Solved, solved, just boom, it's taken care of. Nope, we're going to drag it out for six months. Oh. Well, their discussion is interrupted when Sam's half-sister, Bridget Gamgee, knocks on the door. We then meet Bridget, a pink-haired single mother who comes in with an infant named Phoenix. Do you Turn have a problem with that? Yeah, kind of. And if you're going to name a kid Phoenix, just go all out and name him Joaquin. Here, I need to I need to catch up on my notes here. No Beck, no Phoenix. Yeah, your nay on Joaquin. Joaquin is good. Yeah, Joaquin is good because then you can make some guacamole later on in life. Uh -huh. That's good. that could be his first Halloween costume. Turn put him in a bowl of green fabric. Oh, what is he? What's little Joaquin? He's guacamole. Adorable. See, I really hope that your next child is a son and you name him Phoenix Beck. Why would I do that? Uh, because Luke and I are going to encourage Kelsey to do so. I'm clearly going to name him. Hello, and welcome back to the Rotten Rights Show. <laughs> Skyler. <laughs> you are a walking advertisement for my podcast. <clears throat> we then meet Bridget, a pink-haired single mother who comes in with an infant named Phoenix. Turns out that she... Phoenix! Turns out that she just got a job at a bowling alley and needs Allison to watch her spawn. But there's a problem. She needs her to watch him on Saturday night, and that's when the titular mom's night out is planned. Stop saying that. <laughs> so reluctantly, Sam volunteers to watch the kids. 
However, Samwise is bummed because that's the time when he and Frodo get together to play video games. In reality, Frodo is his best friend Kevin, who he's known since childhood. And Kevin has one character trait. He hates kids. And I officially hate this movie only because on Tuesday nights I play video games with my childhood best friend. And this movie needs to stop imitating my life right now. <laughs> what video games do you play? Do you play violent video games? With yeah, we play, we play those death those death games that they kept saying over and over and over again. They're playing murder games! <laughs> Sam has just volunteered to watch his three kids, his sister's infant, and at the last minute, Ali lets him know that Marco is bringing Izzy's twins over because Marco is just too afraid to watch the kids alone. So he just agreed to watch a whole brood, a whole brood of these blubbering babies. Bro. Bazinga. Balloon. Babu. This is why this podcast Balloon. takes so long. <laughs> well, it's five o'clock on a Saturday, and Allie is getting ready to go out. And she's painted her lips and her fingertips, and she's ready to strut all about. Go out on the town, you're the mother now, and have a good time tonight. Kids got you off your rocker, so you dressed like a streetwalker, so forget about your parasites. La da diddy da, la la diddy da da dum. That's all I've got. <laughs> Bravo. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, she's getting ready, and Sam's unloading the car seats from the minivan, and she, he catches a glimpse of his wife, and instead of going, huh, it's funny, uh, you don't dress like that for date night, uh, you're just going out with your friends, and you dress like you're, uh, you're trying to get a little something-something. I don't feel like he said that. I feel like he was a complimenting husband. Yeah, he was. He looked at her once and went, my precious, and then was like, whoa, not again, <laughs> Sam Wise. Not again. <laughs> but uh, as she gets ready to leave, that's when Kevin pulls up to play some violent video games. Which almost makes Allie flip out, but Sam's like, look, we're going to play some games, it's fine, Kevin's cool, and gets her in the car. Hey everybody, this is present Zach from the Editing Bay. Uh, the next section of the podcast, past Zach, refers to... Pea sticks several times. What you need to know in order for this to make any sense whatsoever is that a pea stick is apparently past Zach's word for pregnancy test. I don't know what he was thinking either. While she's driving over to pick up Izzy, Izzy's in her bathroom just throwing pea sticks around the bathroom like she didn't just pee on all those things. Just no caps on them, just flipping them around everywhere. It's gross. I don't understand why movies are so, so, so just free with the pea sticks. Scott, have you noticed that? Like, movies, they'll just be throwing them around on the counter. Not, they don't have a cap on them. They're showing them off to their friends. They are soaked in urine. I know. I mean, probably the most disgusting scene was when they did that in Gladiator. I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, she's pregnant again. She just had twins, and now she's pregnant again, but it's mom's night out. The titular mom's night out, and we don't have time to deal with that plot development at the moment. So Izzy heads for the door, and Marco's having a moment of his own. You see, Marco's one of those dads that just can't watch kids. So Marco's just justifiably freaking out. It's hilarious. <laughs> Kelsey he... said you're one of those dads, too. No, I'm not. I watch my kid every single day. Every single day, from the moment he wakes up till 4.30, and then I take him to his grandparents, and I come home, and I tuck him in and read him a story every single night. And I've done Have that you met dads like that, though? He was born. I, I, I've never once met a dad who is so adverse to watching their kid for one night Yeah, that they're this. I mean, that was very extreme. And, that's, and it's a trope, and it's a stupid trope. But Izzy basically tells her husband to suck it up, Buttercup, and hops in Allie's car. Sandra is having an argument with their teenage daughter, who just bought some short shorts, and uh, just really doesn't want her daughter dressing like a teenage tramp. And the daughter wants to go out, but the mom grounds her until her father gets home. And so, with the future teenage mom dealt with, Sandra joins the other ladies for their titular mom's night out. <laughs> How long have you known that word? For a Since while. Polar Express. No, I've known it for a while. Uh, the, that was the first usage in uh, the Rotten Righteous history. The three of them park and head into a bougie French restaurant. Unfortunately, Allie's reservation wasn't logged correctly. But don't worry, it's only a two and a half hour wait. This, of course, sets Allie on a bipolar spiral where she can only imagine the worst and plays it out in her head. She imagines that her husband and Kevin got involved in a game of cops and robbers that quickly got out of hand. Kevin and Sam are tied together and Marco is curled up in the fetal position on the floor. Sam is telling Marco to man up while the kids are playing those violent death video games and watching things that will give them nightmares. Honestly, if that is her worst fantasy of what could be happening to her kids that night. It's not that bad. Seriously. My son's going up to, to, to my dad's house this weekend. And for the first time, he's going to ride with his aunt and uncle, Kelsey's sister. Mm -hmm. I have had so many violent and terrifying and horrible images flash through my mind anytime I think about it. And you can't stop them, can you? No, I cannot. And each and every time, they just get worse. And so if all I imagine is this, I'm having a good day. Back to reality. Turns out they logged Allie's reservation for next Sunday. This causes Allie to have another moment, which, according to the manager, disrupts the restaurant's aura, and she and her party are asked to leave. Outside the restaurant, the night is falling apart, but Allie isn't giving up without a fight. She immediately takes everyone's cell phone and locks them in the minivan and then decides that they're all going bowling. <laughs> Meanwhile... What a great idea. No one has access to their cell phones. It really annoys me that they decided to go to a bowling alley and the main character's name is Allie. I, I really hated that writing this synopsis, but I digress. Why? I just didn't like Why it. Why does that matter? I just thought I was saying Allie too much. Oh, uh, Allie. Okay. Kind of like titular. Right. Meanwhile, the dads decide to take their kids to a Chuck E. Cheese-esque 
play place. So they don't <laughs> yes. have to worry about the kids getting lost or hurt. Kevin remarks that they just stamp their hands and they won't be allowed out, like Shawshank Redemption. And I said, Kevin, you didn't watch Shawshank Redemption, did you? Because that movie's all about getting out of Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> I thought that was the best line of the movie. To me, that that, that was the line that, like, I, I was teetering on the edge. Then that line came, and I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm into the movie now. Uh, at the bowling alley... Sandra and Allie are having a heart-to-heart about happiness as mothers. Allison asks Sandra if she's happy, and Sandra goes full pastor's wife and says, Look, life's not about God taking away all our problems and making everything perfect. It's about finding the meaning and the joy and the purpose in this and all the chaos and the crazy, and it's knowing that God is with you on the good days and the bad days. Doesn't mean we're always happy. But it makes everything worth it. And then Sandra says Did you something. Learn anything from that? I mean, it was a nice moment. Then Sandra says something again that I hate to say, but it really resonated with me because she thanks Allison for inviting her out. She's the first person to invite Allison, the the pastor's wife, out to hang out with them for like five years, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, the preacher's wife are people too. No, it's not that the <laughs> preachers are people too. When's the last time you've been invited out to do something other than pray or a funeral? <laughs> but while the ladies are bonding in the bowling alley, their phones in the minivan are blowing up. Turns out that Beck got caught in a game and Sam dislocated his shoulder trying to get him or get Beck out. They have to go to the hospital, but Micah and Marco need the minivan to shuttle the kids around. So Sam leads a message just letting Allie know that they're going to come and switch cars. Of course, they don't get this message because they're too busy imbibing in the time-honored tradition of high school kids everywhere, blacklight bowling. As they're bowling, the local DJ is cranking up the volume and trying to get people on the dance cam, which is then projected on all the TV screens around the alley. Sam's sister, Bridget, who is busy busting empty beer bottles, sees Allie and they start talking. Of course, when Sandra comes back from throwing her ball, she notices all the empty bottles in front of her on her table and just starts to freak out because the pastor's wife cannot be seen with several empties in front of her. So she gathers, <laughs> At all. So she gathers them in her arms to throw them away and then immediately is caught on the dance cam. And I'm ashamed to admit it, but I belly laughed at this. No, I thought this was pretty funny. It's like, this would happen. This is like a real-life situation. It was great. And it's even funnier when we see that Glinda just so happens to be bowling at the same time and is just aghast to see Sandra cradling a bunch of devil's juice boxes in her arms. (laughs) She's happy about it, which she's not a very good Christian for doing it. Well, she's happy about it because, oh, she's got some goss. She's got some tea to spill on old Sandra. Yeah. She can she can no longer finish bowling. She's got to leave because she's got phone calls to make. Right. <laughs> You'll never believe what I saw tonight. Then Allison asks Bridget who is watching her infant son because, well, Bridget never dropped off little Phoenix for Sam to watch. Bridget said that she got her baby daddy, Joey, to watch the kid. This is a problem because Allison just saw Joey earlier at the restaurant and he didn't have no baby. We then see Bridget and the trio storm into the restaurant where she is, or where they are held up by a, a snooty hostess. But when Allie threatens to murder the restaurant's aura, the hostess relents. 
was so stupid. As Bridget is, yeah, but Scott, these places really exist. Do they really? Uh, yes, you go to Columbus. Some of those restaurants, yeah, this this is all too real. The the whole aura thing. The aura, not calling the manager the manager, but calling him the visionary, and yeah, these places exist. Yeah, there's some there's some bougie places around. Bougie, uh, not in Guam. Bougie, hey, a word may... that sounds bad but isn't bougie. <laughs> this may be a surprise <laughs> to you guys, but. I've never visited a place like that. No. <laughs> and here we thought you were the uh, epitome of sophistication. Yeah, I know. Letting people down all over the place. We're going to have to change your image on the show now. Great. <laughs> Yo, what, redneck? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to have you start talking with a weird Ohio Valley accent. <laughs> Make terrible jokes all the time. <laughs> Say stupid stuff. Oh. I tell you what, guys, I think I can do it. <laughs> but as Bridget is confronting Joey, the dads are outside. They've loaded up the minivan and left the restaurant. Joey then admits that he left the baby with Bones, a tattoo artist. Makes perfect sense. While they're figuring... I mean, you don't know how many times I've left my boys with tattoo artists there in Newport. I mean, if it's if it's Vince Gill dressed up like a tattoo artist, I'd probably leave him. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. But uh, while while they are trying to figure out where the baby... Or yeah, we've already read that one. So, uh, Marco and Kevin take the van. Sam and Beck head to the hospital. But when the women get out of the restaurant, they just see that their van's missing. And Allie's locked everyone's cell phone in the center console of the van. So they just assume that it's stolen. And they have no way to call the police. So Bridget and Allie head back over to the bowling alley to get Bridget's phone and call a cab. They make it to the tattoo parlor, and after finally convincing the idiot at the front desk to go and check for the baby, he comes back and says, well, there isn't a baby. After Bridget threatens to call the police, which I really appreciated this joke, they did it twice. Anytime the word cop or police is mentioned, all these big burly biker guys get up from around the, the shop. Like six guys get up and walk out the back. <laughs> just, they're going. They're going. You can't find them. I really appreciated that. That was funny. And you know what? Like we were talking about uh, during that, that stupid movie where the, the priest was on the run for his life. About how they didn't mm-hmm. do a uh, tattoo parlor justice. This this movie actually got the tattoo parlor uh, uh, aura down pretty well. Like, <laughs> I appreciated that. I thought the guy at the front desk was the guy from High School Musical, but it wasn't. I looked him up. Yeah, it's not. It's not that at all. So, uh, the baby is not at the tattoo parlor, and... Um, the, the front desk guy tells them that they need to leave. So Sandra takes the lead and heads down a back alley and bangs on the door of the funeral parlor. Bones, who is a or who is played by a tattooed Trace Adkins and a leather biker cutoff, comes out with a sawed-off double-barrel shotgun and says they ain't gonna find no money here. But when he notices that it's Bridget, he explains that, well, he can't go an hour without a smoke. And he knows you aren't supposed to smoke in front of a baby. So Bones did the responsible thing and gave the baby to Joey's ex-Caprice. Because <laughs> she don't smoke. You never Responsible. You never want to give Caprice a son. No. 
Never. Caprice Sons just don't mix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to make a Capri Sun joke, but I don't know how. It's it's there's something there, but you got to figure it out, right? So yeah, very very responsible. So the ladies take the cab to Caprice's house and start pounding on the door. The door's opened by a skinny stoner and a black wife beater who tells them that Caprice left with the baby, but wouldn't tell them where. That's when the cab got, driver got involved and threatened the stoner, and the stoner just punched him right in his stupid face. So the ladies head back to Bones and his tattoo parlor and ask the large, leather-clad country music star who was playing a tattoo artist for help. Back at Caprice's house, Hank accosts the port or the port the port head. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the house, Hank accosts the pothead and learns that Caprice, a recovering alcoholic, needed a drink, so presumably the baby is now her drinking buddy. After headbutting the pothead, justifiably, Bones comes up with a plan. They're going to canvas every bar in town from east to west and they find Bridget's baby. As the ladies, who are still driving in the cab and Bones on his motorcycle, pull away, the neighbor from across the street opens his door to check on the ruckus. He goes back in his house and complains to his wife about the noise who is currently holding baby Phoenix. We're left with that situational irony and taken to a hospital waiting room. Sam is there with Beck and they run into the pastor who is just making a, you know, a normal, usual, late night Saturday visitation to a sick church member. I know I do all my visitations after dark on Saturdays. <laughs> You probably do as many of them after dark on Saturdays as you do them in the daylight hours. <laughs> That's true, but I'm scared of COVID. Does COVID come out after dark? Yeah. Haven't you ever seen that show, COVID After Dark? It's real raunchy. No. Probably shouldn't watch it. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Mm. So... Yeah, so he runs into the pastor who's there visiting a church member. Allie then calls Sam using Bridget's phone, but the dying cell phone is breaking up, and all he hears is Fifth Avenue, bones, and blood everywhere. Sam then... <laughs> Sam then musters all the strength the Shire provides to a young hobbit, and he slams his diso dislocated shoulder into the wall until it pops back in socket. Then he's ready to go and save his wife. The pastor then offers to drive, and the two are off. On the way to the first bar, Allie notices her assumed stolen van up ahead. Bones and the taxi begin to pursue, which leads them into running a red light right in front of a cop. So now, a very confused Marco and Kevin are being pursued by a mean-looking biker, a yellow cab, and a police officer. Concerned for his <laughs> life, Marco begins to throw a random assortment of sippy cups that he finds on the floorboards of the van at Bones. Again, this made me laugh because that's how my CRV looks. Just a random assortment of sippy cups. <laughs> you never know what you're going to find in there. Sippy cups, bowls, toys, a bear, loaded diaper or two. You mean you don't have a minivan, Zach? Not yet. Hmm. I want one, though. Are you going to have any more kids? Probably. Marco then guns the van running a red light of his own and taking a hard right, trying to lose Sons of Anarchy, who is trailing him. And the turn works as the taxi and the cop both miss. 
The taxi goes off and hits some trash cans while the cop is able to quickly turn around and eventually pull the van over. After getting Marco to pull or to, to get out of the car and on his knees, the officer opens the back door to find a whole bunch of kids. And the confused cop starts asking <laughs> questions. And the scene is perfect to the brutal honesty of kids getting parents in trouble. He asks the kids if Marco's their daddy. Alice or Allie's daughter speaks up and says, No! And he's taken us home and I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> This this whole thing, it was a great scene. It's, it was a great so, scene. You're absolutely right. It's so plausible. The innocence of children just misleading this cop all over the place. And then she goes, plus, he killed Mama. Now, we didn't talk about Mama earlier, but Mama is a parakeet, or I should say former parakeet, that Kevin accidentally sat on earlier. Of course, the cop doesn't know that Mama is a bird and thinks that they're talking about a real mother, so he pulls his sidearm and makes Marco lay down on the ground. And Kevin remarks the truth. They are all going to jail. It was a good scene. You know, if Christian cinema can do this for this movie, like I have higher expectations for other stuff. Like I'm, I'm done giving the, uh, the, the Christian cinema like a pass. That's on, what like, I'm saying. This movie was legitimately funny. It was more funny mm-hmm. than it wasn't funny. And that's yeah, all I'm saying. It was. It wasn't. It was clean. But it was genuinely funny. I I don't understand why other faith-based movies can't do this. But anyway, and the actors weren't like no, even complete tr- garbage. Even tr- I mean, there were there were some actual notable names in there, like the girl that plays Bridget's been in some other things, and and like we said, the girl that plays Allie's a regular on on Grey's Anatomy, and Trace Adkins surprised me. He wasn't a terrible mm-hmm. actor, but uh, that one guy used to play football for Notre Dame, right? And then my cousin Billy right there was in the background. <laughs> Bones catches up with the taxi and tells the pol- or, or tells the women, the moms, that uh, he saw the police arrest the the van thief. He says apparently he was a mentally unstable man with a parakeet. Izzy, <laughs> Izzy immediately recognizes that he just described her husband Marco, and they go to the jail. When they get there, outside, Sandra sees her husband's car in the parking lot and immediately assumes that her teenage daughter stole it and was now arrested as well. With that, the ladies make their way in, or to the officer sitting at the front desk, just talking over each other. When Allie tries to butt in and explain the situation, Billy tells her, or Bridget, not Billy, Bridget tells her to stop trying to help because she keeps making things worse. And that's when Sandra turns on Allie as well and blames her for taking their cell phones. Now, keep in mind... There's a the cop at the front desk is behind bulletproof glass. However, <laughs> when the locked door that leads to the jail is buzzed open, Sandra, Izzy, and Bridget just slip through like a couple of ferrets. And immediately <laughs> they are accosting the cop uh, without that protective glass in front of him. And of course, any man is justifiably feels threatened when they have three crazed women shouting at him. And so he calls for backup. And the three only calm down when they notice that the cop has pointed a taser at them. Once the backup arrives, the taser accidentally discharges and Sandra goes down. And the three women are apprehended. <laughs> See, it is, it is just so funny. It is the, the whole end of this movie is just hilarious. Like where I thought it started slow, when this stuff started happening, it, it was just 
great comedy, great acting, and you just well, didn't I know think, what was going to happen next. I think the reason why the the beginning didn't start slow for me is because I'm living it. You know, I've got yeah. a three year old. Yeah. I know what it's like. I tripped and I almost felt. 13 times today, just walking from my kid's bedroom to the living room because I stepped on a block, a toy dinosaur, which made my Mormon father very disappointed. And, uh, <laughs> um, meanwhile, Allie, who did not get arrested, uses the payphone to call Sam and tells him that they're at the jail and she's just having the worst night of her life. In the jail cell, the women are waiting for information. And that's when Sandra's daughter comes to the door and is so very thankful to see her mom alive. Turns out the teenage girl wasn't arrested, but after being unable to get a hold of her mom and learning that their car was stolen when she called the restaurant, she borrowed her dad's car to come to the police station to report her mother missing. Of course, Sandra is ashamed for assuming the worst and explains to her daughter that she's so hard on her because she doesn't want her to make the same mistakes that Sandra had made. You see, Sandra was wild when she was younger, and her wild side culminated with a tattoo of Donny Osmond's face on her lower back. Uh, she was going to get it lasered off, Sandra says, but as she got older, it started to look more like her husband, so she decided just to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Out in the waiting room of the jail, Allie is feeling sorry for herself. She complains to Bones, who is sitting next to her, that she just failed again. But Bones isn't having it, and he tells that sad mama something that she needed to hear. He said, You know, I saw on Pinterest the other day, it was an eagle, just caring for its young. Beautiful thing to watch. One of God's creations just doing what he made, or what he made it to do. He said, It's a beautiful thing to watch one of God's creations just doing what he made it to do. Just being an eagle. And that's enough. Let me tell you something, girl. I doubt the good Lord made a mistake giving your kiddos the mama he did. So you just be you, and he'll take care of the rest. Aww. Guys. Great advice. Yeah. Great advice. Bones gave some great advice. So, eventually, everything gets worked out with the cops, and everybody's uh, allowed to go home. Everybody's released from jail. But they still haven't found Bridget's baby. So... Allie and Bridget go back to Caprice's house to wait for uh, Caprice to come home or somebody to tell them where this baby is. Now, when they get there, the house is, is empty, although they, they do hear a, a wrestling program on the, on the TV. They say, is that a wrestling program? And, and Allie just goes, I don't know. All I hear is sounds of rage. I'm like, yeah, that's a wrestling program. <laughs> And um, what Scott? They could have been. They could have been watching the Masked Saint. Maybe that's true, or Nacho Libre. Or they could have been watching our review of the Masked Saint and listening to me. Um, yeah, that's true. It was a lot of rage. <laughs> but as they're sitting there waiting, all of a sudden, the 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 pothead comes back with a arm full of munchies for the evening, and they're like, <laughs> "That's him." And we need to figure out what he knows, because they assume that he knows where the baby is. But the pothead starts taking off running, and the cab driver's still there, by the way, because he wants to see how this thing plays out. He <laughs> he chases down the pothead and just flat out hits him. And hits him good. So the pothead's knocked out. He's not any help to anybody. 
And then, here comes Samwise, leading the cavalry on the back of a motorcycle, followed by Bones and his biker gang, the Skulls, and the police. They're going to search for this missing child. And that's at this point that the neighbor, who came out to see what all the hubbub was about, hears that they're looking for a missing child. And wouldn't you know that he and his wife are just watching little Phoenix. So they find Phoenix, and everybody's really excited. And then the cop says, there's no need for the chopper. And then everybody gets really sad again, because they wanted to see the chopper. And then... (laughs) (laughs) And then Sam reminds them that they found the baby, so everybody's really happy again. And... The next day, Allie goes home and writes a blog about how she's not a failure and how she loves her life, and that's pretty much it. I do want to point out, did you guys watch through the... Did you guys watch through the the trailer, or the credits? No. I did not. So you didn't see the scene at the end? Uh Huh. Alright, so the scene at the end has Sam Wise, who, by the way, that's not his real name. His real name in the movie is Sean. But if you have Samwise Gamgee in a movie, I'm not going to not call him Samwise. So anyways, Samwise is uh, cleaning underneath the fridge one morning. And Allie walks down and she's like, hmm. She's like, mm-hmm. she goes, you are so hot right now. He's like, yeah, I know. It's disgusting. I got to take a shower. And then she like cocks her eyebrow and he's like, oh, really? That's what does it for you? <laughs> And so we just see this slow pan as their daughter's walking down the stairs and you just hear him go, wait, 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 ow, 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 wait, wait. He throws his shoulder out again as Allie's like (laughs) sitting on his lap and they're kissing. And the daughter's like, what are you guys doing? And mommy's like, "Uh, just give it daddy a little cuddle. And he's like, and she's like, is your shoulder okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch this. Don't be scared. He slams it against the (laughs) cabinet. It's like, oh, I got it. We're back to normal. (laughs) And that's the end. That's the real end. <laughs> I missed that. I see that. Yeah, it was a good little ending. Uh, okay, so that was the movie. And, of course, here at the Rotten Righteous Podcast, we rate every movie on the SEPS scale, which is a acronym, and it's also a Greek word for stinky snake. Google it. And uh, SEP stands for Scriptural Accuracy, Entertainment Value, Parental Control, and Should You Watch It. Each one of those sections is given a score out of 25. Then we add them all up to the again, or at the end, average, average them out of 100. And that's our individual grades that we put those all together in a hat and pull it out. And whatever one we pull out, that's what the movie gets. Um, so, yeah, that's that. Let's start this week with Luke. Luke. No, we're going to start with Scott. <sighs> Should we do a scriptural accuracy? Yeah, it is a faith-based movie. For the first time in a while, mm. we actually did a faith-based movie. So, Scott. It's hard to believe. How are, how are you feeling? Um, well, there's some things that... Obviously, there's some things that aren't true to the true church. Was like pastor, uh, but I, I love the message that was in this. I love the ending, um, the message that uh, uh, Bones gave. I thought that was very inspiring. I'm going to give it a twenty. Okay, good enough. Luke, how are you doing on scriptural accuracy? I was thinking the same thing. Uh, yeah, there's a few 
funny spots, but uh, overall good. And it wasn't pretending to be some kind of doctrinal dissertation. Right. No. Yeah, no. I'm going to give it a, a 20 as well. I like the messages that they gave, and they didn't try to shove it down your throat like most faith-based movies. So I'll give it a 20. All right, which moves us on to entertainment value. Scott, were you entertained? Uh, I was entertained. The end of this really made up for what I felt were shortcomings in the beginning. It's personal on my end, uh, but I'm going to give it a 20 for entertainment as well because I loved uh, I loved where it went. Okay. Luke, how about you? I felt the same way because I f- like the, the first part, I was like, are we just going to watch this woman have a meltdown the entire movie <laughs> because that's what it was and uh but then yeah and i i felt like scott and uh it got a lot better saved it in the end so i'm gonna give it a um, gonna give it a 16 all right uh as you guys know loyal listeners i love faith-based movies more than anything i'm always super <laughs> lenient with them and uh <laughs> No, this movie is exactly what I've been talking about for weeks. Where they're like, oh, you gotta give them some leverage because at least they're trying to make a, a clean movie and whatever. No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give anyone the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> this movie was exactly what I've been asking for. It was genuinely funny from from beginning to end, especially if you have young kids. It had a good message in it, and guess what? Nobody had a job that took them away from a prior uh, uh, from a prior commitment that they had to decide between. So for that, I'm going to give it a 25 because it gave me everything I've wanted from a faith-based 25. movie. A 25. This is the best faith-based movie I have ever seen. Is there any parental control issues in this movie at all? I mean, there are some. I can't think of... What are we looking at? I don't know, Scott. This is your time to shine. I'm giving it. A, I'm giving it a twenty-three. Okay. Why are you taking two points off? Uh, it's, it's not perfect, but it deserves a high grade. It was funny. I think there's real life portrayed in these actors. I can't find anything that's that's that inappropriate. And for these men to say, "Let's take them to the Chuck E. Cheese," and they'll lock them in so they can't escape. That's hilarious. Now, social services may see a different point of view, but I could relate to that. Okay. 23. I didn't see. Oh, wait. You didn't call on me. Okay. Luke, how about you? <laughs> um, I'm going to give it a 21 and a half. No, I'll give it a, uh, I, I mean, I didn't see anything that I can't remember anything, at least that would even be troubling right there's a luchador there's a tattoo parlor there's a woman carrying around a bunch of empties but 24 okay um zach's about to give it like a 10 no i'm gonna (laughs) give it a 23 i took two point off two points off because of the beer empties that's pretty much it so and the reference to pot so there you go Uh, And finally, should you watch it? Uh, I'm also going to give this a 23 because I think this is a great movie that you can watch 
parents, grandparents, kids. I think you can sit back and laugh at it. I think it would promote a time of reminiscing amongst family members to talk about, oh, hey, remember when? Uh, and I, I think there could bring some unity to families by watching this. Um, I, I would 23, 23. Okay, 23. Uh, Luke, what about you? Uh, I gave it an 18. I mean, the first part wasn't particularly entertaining, and that's the only reason I docked it. Um, but the, the second half was good, but I have a feeling a lot of people might ditch it. Well, some people might ditch it in the first half. So, uh, yeah, 18. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give it, a, again, I'm going to give it a 25. I've been looking for a movie that I wouldn't be embarrassed to show people that wasn't cringy and sappy and stupid throughout this movie did that it was it was a very good clean faith-based movie all right so with all of our scores added together we gave this movie an 86 percent which according to our grading scale is an a so go out and watch mom's night out and of course we use carlton university's grading scale go ravens Oh, wow. <laughs> Next week, we are going to watch the 2019 faith-based drama called The Reliant. Here's the synopsis. A father loses his daughter and goes to prison. Seven years later, he seeks revenge against the doctor who could not save her. At the same time, the country is plunged into social and economic unrest, riots, murder, and looting. And between the fathers seeking revenge and the rioters and outlaws, it causes death and destruction in a family and causes them to flee to the wilderness. Faith is tested. Family bonds are tested. Can they trust God? Each other? Will they survive? Are they alone? And is there anything out there? Or is this the end of the world? End of the world. It sounds a lot better than what it actually is. It has a current rating of 3 on IMDb. Oof. Well, we'll put her to the test. So I sent you guys the trailer whenever you're ready. <laughs> the first time you're going to see me in my wedding dress is when I'm walking down the aisle. Marriage isn't always going to be easy. For better or for worse. Love is a, uh, it's a sacrifice. I may never be any more worthy of you than I am of grace. Leave us alone. What's happening? Downtown's under attack. People are getting killed. We have to get out of here. And right now, we need to leave. Leave? I'm supposed to be getting married in 39 days, Dad. People are dying just two miles away. Go! Daddy! Sophie, go! Go, get out of here! Run! It's chaos. It's anarchy. Your little family dream. Three meals a day. Kids and bedtime prayers, it's over. The adapter die. Oh, I've never, no, never known love like this before. I don't know how much more I can take. Like a kiss blown from heaven. Oh, thank God. You're lying. My dream was to marry a man who would be a good husband. Give me another chance. I mean, can't you see that he's changed? I'm sorry. If he could tell us one thing, he would tell us that God is still good. You are my life. Oh, my, 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 my.
mabuhay. You are armed and dangerous. You ain't seen nothing yet. We are staying together, and we are trusting God. The only good answer for the question why is believe. Mercy is the light, the light that swallows up all the darkness. <sighs> you sure you don't want to be on next week's podcast, Luke? Man, you guys are going to have fun. <laughs> we are going to have fun. That, we got romance, guns, murder. You're getting shot at and you're worried about getting married in 39 days. This movie has everything. God. I love that. I love how they're literally worried about their life. Dad, I'm getting married in 39 days. If the podcast... We got red solo cups. If the trailer points out how stupid and illogical this movie is, I have no hope. I think we're I think we're really looking at another persecuted here. We I think we really are. <laughs> I See, I didn't watch that one either, so I'm I escaped. No, I, I I picked the Reliant because I, there was some other cringy ones on Netflix that I was going to save for when you got back. Well, there you have it. That's our show. Uh, if you ever feel bad about yourself, just remember you don't have to watch these stupid movies, and listening to us is not as painful. Um. <laughs> If you want to get a hold of us, recommend a movie, whatever, email us at rottenerrighteous at gmail.com. Uh, please like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash rottenerrighteous. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, so that's 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 going to do it for this week. For Rotten Righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Scott Judge. And I'm still Joseph Smith. <laughs> Hey, hey, good Mormons. You better watch this show and rate it five stars on Instagram. <laughs> or else okay. you'll be you'll receive the curse of the the Mark Hoffman. Of the golden whistle. <laughs> you'll get a Okay. I I order a plague of magical salamanders on your home. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we go, just real quick. Hey, Luke, I got this friend who thinks he's so smart, all right? He's always, he's just intolerable. And he was telling me the other day how onions are the only plant life that can make you cry. So I just threw a coconut in his face. Good night, everybody. He actually didn't cry. It knocked him out. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you could kill somebody with a coconut. These Those things are like, you could use those as weapons easy. You could create a catapult with a coconut. That would be great. I think I might do that. You know, there was a, a teacher at the at uh, preaching school. Who, what was his name? Like, we went there too. No, no, no. This is a Memphis. <laughs> but I wasn't. I wasn't going to mention the name, and you know, just in case I didn't want to like bash them publicly. They don't listen. Ah, just go ahead. <laughs> We're a family. He thought, it was like, <laughs> he, he thought it was like the most shameful thing ever to wear like a cartoon tie up 
um, like when you're doing something in worship. <laughs> He's like, he went on a rage one day about uh, wearing Looney Tune ties while somebody was doing the Lord's Supper, which I guess I can, I I can sympathize with a little bit. If somebody's listening but, right now, and he would he would have murdered you. If they're ever out and about and they come across a tie that just has nothing but socks and undershirts and underpants on it, mail it to me. I'll wear it every Sunday. Because nothing, to me, would be funnier than a tie with a bunch of underpants on it. Because you're wearing a tie to be fancy, but you got underpants on that tie. And now I'm struggling to teach Romans on Wednesday night. <laughs> I'm like, uh, Paul really is real wordy here. The sin came in through the one door, but through the other door, the sin left. And everyone said to the first guy, hey, guy, what's going on? And to the second guy, he's like, what's up? And then everyone was like, sadness on one hand, but on the other hand, and type and anti-type. Oh, by the way, let's just also throw in some uh, 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 some, some Godhead for good measure into the same paragraph that we're talking about something else. And God help you. God help you if you're using an ESV and they don't capitalize the pronouns because you're lost. Amen. <laughs> Send me your notes, because I'm going to need those. All right. <laughs> <laughs>